This is the Barrel Banter Special Postseason Edition. Brewers hosting the D-backs this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So we brought on a special guest to, who covers the D-backs. Derek Mantia covers them for PHNX Sports, host of their D-backs podcast, does some writing for their, their company. Uh, and we had a good conversation about kind of who the D-backs are as a, as a team. They've been struggling a little bit as of late. So what some of the concerns are as a D-backs fan uh, going into the series and what to expect out of Gallon, Merrill Kelly, Brandon Fought in Game 1. He's a relative unknown, was a top prospect, but the league doesn't know a whole lot about him. Brewers have never faced Fought like they have with Gallon or Kelly. So what some of the factors might be in the series. Uh, so that conversation will be after this, after a little bit of uh, information on the Brewer side of things from me. Peter and I had recorded uh, a little bit of a preview, but... We recorded that one before the D-backs announced that Brandon Fought would be their game one starter. We were anticipating that Gallon and Kelly might go on short rest in games one and two. And then we also did not get the news of Brandon Woodruff's unfortunate injury. Of course, a right shoulder injury, as I'm sure many, if not all of you, have heard by now. He will miss the wild card series and may miss the rest of the postseason. He'll be reevaluated at the end of next week before the NLDS, but... Not looking too promising right now. Popped up in his last start. His velo was down against Miami. And after uh, throwing on Sunday, turned out that he had a, a strain in his right shoulder. So he'll miss some time. A, a huge blow to the Brewers roster, of course, Woodruff being one of their excellent pitchers. And to me, it's it's not so much the first series that you're worried about or, or as worried about. Anything can happen in a short series. But with Woodruff... Uh, he was a guy that you were going to have to rely on if you want to make a deep postseason run. The Brewers' big strength of their, their ball club is the pitching. We know that. We've seen that all year. The Brewers finished leading the league, uh, both leagues, in fact, all of Major League Baseball in ERA with 3.73 uh, ERA. Woodruff was a big part of that, especially in the second half. So losing Woodruff, a big blow to the Brewers' World Series hopes. And we know who to blame it on, Bob Nightingale. Uh, he, the, the curse of Bob Nightingale continues. He predicted the Brewers would be the World Series champions at the outset of the postseason. So, I don't know. He he, he predicted the, the the two World Series champions, in, the one in 22 and 21, both correctly. So, I don't know. I, I guess it's a curse, but also maybe, maybe he ends up being right. We'll see about that. I uh, wanted to take a minute to talk about the roster, who I think will be on the roster uh, things are, are are shaken up a little bit with Woodruff's loss. Uh, so 26-man roster. I'll get to my prediction uh, in a minute here. Uh, but before there there I, I guess there I'll explain there are many locks in place, guys that will for sure make the club, and then there there are the ones that are kind of on the fringe, uh, which are the ones that I'll highlight after. Uh, the locks starting pitchers Burns starting game one. That one we know. Council announced that. Freddie and Wade Miley presumably will be the game's two and three starters, but Council didn't announce which order, thinking that maybe if the Brewers win game one, they go to Miley in game two. Uh, Miley's certainly capable. Of course, he's no Brandon Woodruff. But if you can get through with Miley in game two, then Freddie can start game one of the NLDS. You go to uh, Corbin Burns in game two on normal rest. You go to Wade Miley on normal rest in game three. Back to Freddie on normal rest in game four, and then back to Burns on normal rest in game five. That would be ideal. Uh, if, it, if it went that far, there are a lot of ifs if the Brewers make it to the, the NLDS. Uh, but that might be how they line up their pitching. 
Either way, those three starters will be on the postseason roster. Devin Williams, Yoel Piams, Elvis Piguero, Hobie Milner, Abner Uribe, Trevor McGill, and Bryce Wilson all seem like locks for the postseason roster. That's seven relievers right there. So that's 10. William Contreras, Victor Caratini, they'll be on the roster. That makes it 12. Carlos Santana, Bryce Terang, Josh Donaldson, Willie Adames, Andrew Monasterio, add another five up to 17. Christian Yelich, Sal Freelich, Tyrone Taylor, Blake Perkins, uh, what is that, 21. Mark Canna, 22. And you've got four spots to play with. And the candidates for this last spot, Adrian Hauser, who seems like maybe the most deserving, but he also pitched five innings on Sunday. So I don't know that the Brewers would keep him on the roster. Certainly won't be ready to go even out of the pen on, would that be tomorrow? Uh, I'm recording this Monday night. So he wouldn't be ready to go for, for Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday probably wouldn't be ready to go. Maybe Thursday, and he'd be on short rest. Another pitching option, Colin Ray. Uh, Thiago Vieira, if he's healthy from his calf strain. Andrew Chafin, which I know Brewers fans are, are hoping for. Ethan Small, another option. I, I don't think it's likely, but it is an option if they were to want uh, another lefty in there. Position player side of things, they've got Rowdy as an option. I think he'll make it. Owen Miller, Garrett Mitchell, Jesse Winker, back from injury, uh, another fan favorite. Joey Weimer, Abraham Toro, Jemai Jones, all options. With, with, with these four spots, my prediction is Colin Ray will be added to the roster. I don't think he would have been on the roster if Woodruff were healthy, but because Woodruff isn't there, maybe Miley ends up throwing a lot of pitches early on in the start. They need to turn it over to the pen early. There's no extra inning runner on second rule, so maybe... Colin Ray will need to come in in the 10th inning, 11th inning, 12th inning. We saw Freddie Peralta do that and Junior Guerra in that long game in L.A. a few years ago. So I think Colin Ray will be added as kind of an insurance plan in case they need length out of someone. Uh, maybe a pitcher gets hurt and they need, they need Ray to step up in that game. I think Rowdy takes a spot, bat off the bench, uh, hopefully with not, without a runner on first because they'll probably ground into a double play. But if they're down by three and it's second and third. Maybe you go to Rowdy late in the game to try for a three-run shot. I think I think given the roster that even though Rowdy's had a bad year, he makes the postseason roster. Owen Miller, uh, he's my my other infielder that I think will make it who's on the bubble. And he hasn't really seen much time in the majors, but he was called up at the outset of September before being optioned out for Josh Donaldson. He didn't play well in the second half. We know he had that excellent first half, but his cumulative numbers still weren't bad. 261 average, 303 on base, and he provides versatility. Monasterio does too, but uh, provides you with additional flexibility. I, I think having Owen Miller on the roster would be a nice addition. And then in the outfield, I think they'll go with Garrett Mitchell for that last spot. Uh, he, he showed he was healthy in that week that he was up in the big leagues and could make an impact. I think Tyrone Taylor probably will start, especially against lefties. Uh, but against the righty, maybe Tyrone struggles early on and the Brewers decide to go in, in game three with Mitchell. I think that's a possibility uh, have Mitchell play center field. When we were recording yesterday, uh, Peter said that his prediction was the Brewers were going to win the series in two. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to consult with him on whether his prediction would change or not. Uh, so we're going to keep Peter's prediction the same, assume that he would. Uh, he has equal confidence in Wade Miley as he does in Brandon Woodruff. My prediction 
Uh, luckily, I held off on it yesterday. I'm going Brewers in three. I think the Brewers are going to take the series. Uh, they have to take game one against Brandon Fott, uh, but they've got Zach Gallen going up against them in game two. I think that you know anything can happen in, in three games, but I think that the Brewers will ultimately pull it out, but it'll take three games for them to do it. So without further ado, uh, we'll get to our interview with Derek Montilla of PHNX Sports. Thank you to our special guest today, Derek Montilla, for joining us. Derek is uh, the host of the Diamondbacks podcast for PHNX Sports and covers the D-backs there. Derek, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, David. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I wanted to start with maybe a little bit more lighthearted, not not so contentious right now. Uh, (laughs) You are a Suns fan. Uh, Do you think we're going to see maybe an NBA Finals rematch this this upcoming summer with the Bucks and Suns? I would love to see that. Uh, I, I think that from the perspective of, you know, I thought that they had a fairly good battle the last time we matched up. And I mean, obviously that means the Suns get to the finals. So as any scenario where that's the end result, I'm fully on board with it. Yeah, I, I would say same here. And I think I, that might be the most likely outcome. I think a lot of the, the national writers might say the Lakers, Lakers and Celtics will be there. But is that just because they want to see them there? Maybe <laughs> possibly I think. And uh, also I think like the Suns are just very unproven because of all the pieces they've added and everything that's changed this off season. So I think it's a matter of seeing the product on the court and that will probably change some minds, but I, uh, you know, whatever, as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's, it's kind of like this Diamondbacks team as the, the less pressure, the better, because, you know, it feels like when, when they were the top dog, that might've been part of, uh, part of the thing that, that sunk them so quickly, right? So, like, when they're mm-hmm. a little bit of the underdog, I feel like they're in a better position. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll go ahead and shift over to the baseball side of thing. Uh, of course, the Brewers and D-backs kicking off a uh, best-of-three series this week, uh, Tuesday through Thursday, Thursday if necessary, and all three games will be held in Milwaukee at American Family Field. Uh, but perhaps we already saw the biggest moment of the series play out where Brandon Woodruff, uh, it was announced that he uh, will be unable to pitch in the series. Of course, one of the Brewers aces. To me, the Brewers' biggest advantage was in their their starting pitching, maybe a little bit bullpen too, but the starting pitching particularly, you got Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. Now that now that advantage is, is mitigated a little bit, uh, we know about Woodruff here uh, in Milwaukee, but speak to us a little bit about Brandon Fought. Do you think that that with Brandon fought in game one, uh, that, that the, the, the D-backs starting pitching will be able to hold up still, uh, now facing off against maybe Burns, Wade Miley, and Freddie Peralta? Well, I, I think that we were very nervous about your trio of, of starting pitchers, arguably the best trio for any team, I, I think, in the playoffs. And uh, it's a big reason why the Brewers are, are where they're at. And I know... Uh, your relief pitching has been good. I know defensively, you guys have been a very good. I think you have the second most defensive run saved in the league. So, yeah, I think with the way that the Diamondbacks have been performing lately, very inconsistent offensively, and they come into the playoffs uh, getting swept by the Astros, losing the finale to the White Sox in their three-game series with Chicago, uh, and basically putting up very few runs. I think they put up three runs in those four games. I think they went something like one for – 23 with runners in scoring position. So, you know, you, you, the mix of their kind of the, the slump that they're in offensively with how good the Brewers starting pitching, you know, has been, 
uh, is definitely a concern and definitely the biggest concern, I think, because of the fact that uh, obviously if the Diamondbacks aren't able to produce against, you know, uh, I don't want to call other starting pitchers mediocre, but lesser than pitchers than than what you guys have up there, then uh, then, yeah, it's definitely a concern. I will say that uh, there is something to be said about the fact that it, it does feel like we have a little bit of hope now with with Brandon Woodruff, you know, being out and that. Uh, obviously, it's never a good thing due to injury. Nobody's celebrating mm-hmm. that. But, you know, yeah, for the Diamondbacks, it feels like, uh, at least for me, it feels like they have a bit more of a chance in this series than they might have. Uh, and uh, as far as Brandon Fott is concerned, he's the Diamondbacks' number one prospect. He came up this year, and he has been very good at times for this team and very bad uh, at times for this team. And uh, one of the bigger things that he tends to do is uh, he tends to kind of uh, you know, uh, pitch right when, when he's struggling to kind of hit edges and he's struggling with uh, balls and control, he tends to just start throwing balls right down the middle. And, uh, you know, especially against maybe another matchup like the Philadelphia Phillies, that's a huge concern for a team that just has that's that offensively potent. He has been good, though. And I mean, he has had times where he has really shined for this team. And so it's it's kind of like, uh, like our perspective of Corbin Burns is we don't know which Corbin Burns we're going to get. The one that we played him the first time early on in the season where he was dominant against us or the I think it was June or, or sometime like that where the Diamondbacks actually had a very good, very good game against Corbin. So uh, with Brandon, that's kind of how we feel. We don't know what we're going to get out of him. Most likely what we'll see is uh, him go through the lineup. Uh, if he Even if he is successful, maybe twice, and then I wouldn't be surprised to see Torrey Luello turn things over to his bullpen at that point, just, just due to that inconsistency and maybe due to not, not, not trusting him, but just, you know, not trusting, you know, the results the third time through the lineup. Yeah. Thought on the year 5.72 ERA with 94 strikeouts and 96 innings. So you see the strikeout numbers pretty good. uh, But as you were alluding to the uh, kind of leaving the ball over the plate, getting hit hard, And that seems like a a pretty common problem with young guys coming up where I think it's more being stressed about throwing strikes than it is about hitting spots on the corners versus a guy like Wade Miley who uh, hits the corners or Zach Gallen is probably the best in the game at doing that. Uh, Do you think that the D-backs made the right decision to to push, maybe not push them back, but not to move up Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly and start them on short rest, having them start games two and three on full rest? Honestly, it's hard to say because what ended up happening is the Diamondbacks, even though both guys pitched well in their final two games against the Astros, the Diamondbacks lost both of those games. And, uh, you know, it was important. They they were helped to get here by the Reds losing. And, you know, uh, it's not to take away from the work they did earlier on in the season, but it's not it's not the, the ideal result for you to get swept in the final series, especially when you kind of controlled your own fate and you could have won one of those games and that would have been enough to secure your spot without having to rely on another team to win in order or lose essentially in order for you to make your way into the playoffs. So, um, I, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, that that's such a substantial, you know, part of this right now for me, but, um, uh, you know, this, this team right now, they, they're, they're just looking for, I think, ways to get things back on track. And I think it's going to be difficult against the Brewers. That's, that's my honest opinion. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm worried about that. There not being enough time for them to get things back on track offensively. Yeah. With the offense first half, 
Uh, the D-backs had a, a team OPS of 754 versus 698 in the second half. Uh, on the road, the OPS for the D-backs, 706 versus 755 at home. Of course, with all three games being played uh, at American Family Field. I know uh, Gabriel Moreno has been playing pretty well as of late offensively. Are there other hitters uh, that have been playing particularly well lately uh, that you think yeah, the Brewers should be worried about? Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, Christian Walker is is always a threat. He's a power hitter, and even though he has struggled lately offensively, he's a guy that once he kind of get thing, gets things working, he can he can really be a, a threat at the plate. Uh, Corbin Carroll has just been having a tremendous season. Uh, he's most likely our National League Rookie of the Year, and he's the he's the superstar right now on this team. He really is. He's emerged as uh, I don't want to say a, like a locker room leader because we still have veteran guys like Tommy Pham and Evan Longoria that kind of handle that. But I feel like he's emerged as their best offensive threat. Not only does he have power and hit for power this season, but uh, he just has this ability to get on base and just always cause, uh, you know, just cause problems. He's he's fast. He's a, a you know a, always a, a, a stealing base threat. Uh, he had a 25-50 season, which is historic. No other player has ever had that uh, in their rookie season in Major League Baseball. So, um, I mean, yeah, the the thing about this team really that was their identity early on, at least offensively, was getting guys on base and and doing this thing we cause we call causing chaos where they were just kind of stealing bases, uh, taking extra bases especially, and putting that pressure on the defense to make good plays in order to try to get them. And uh, a lot of, a lot of, in a lot of occasions, that led to mistakes and them being able to take extra bases or score. And it's just kind of been, it's been a lot of fun to watch this team because of their speed and the way they play baseball in that way. Uh, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't always work. Sometimes you just kind of see them go in a slump collectively like we've seen lately and that, uh, that kind of, you know, it, it, it's it's a frustrating thing to watch, especially when you know so many guys on this team are capable of contributing uh, so much to the offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, along with the, the slump offensively on the pitching side, Zach Gallen, a uh, couple of subpar starts, yeah. I believe, in the last month. Uh, I know, uh, I guess I don't have the, the stats pulled up, uh, but I know that I remember hearing at least about Gallen kind of fading a little bit down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, is that a concern for the playoffs? Do you think there's not really much to be said about the way he's been pitching lately and you're, you're confident in his ability to bounce back? Uh, is I, I he, I'm sorry to it, cut you off. Go ahead. Well, no, is he, do you think he, do you think he'll bounce back and see someone who could maybe take over an entire game? He absolutely is that. I mean, he was a Cy Young candidate for a reason and he has absolutely been just lights out for this team at times. Uh, and He's even been very good when he professes after the game that he didn't have his best stuff, right? So, like, that's the thing is he'll sometimes go out there, pitch six innings, give up three hits and no runs, and still and at the end of the day in the clubhouse be like, yeah, my curveball wasn't really working, and, I, you know, I wasn't hitting my, you know, spots with my fastball. And, you know, he'll point out all the ways that stuff wasn't working for him. And it's like you were still able to get those results with all of that stuff not working. And that's – I think that's the impressive thing about Zach is when – when he's dialed in and everything is working, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. However, his home road splits are something to uh, that, that are astonishing, right? He is so much better at home than he is on the road that that part and, and the fact that this playoff series is on the road isn't super encouraging. We've seen him be good on the road, but it's not a consistent 
you know, thing. When you look at his numbers, the majority of his bad starts were on the road, and uh, his numbers are, are quite different between, you know, pitching at Chase Field and pitching anywhere else. Yeah, home versus away for Zach Gallen this year. Uh, he had a 4.42 ERA on the road versus 2.47 at home. Uh, it seems like the, the D-backs were an extreme home team. Yeah, at, at okay. times. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, uh, they've, they've talked about the atmosphere at Chase Field. It's not a very home-friendly atmosphere. Uh, to, to, to be honest, this team's almost always playing on the road because – uh, you know, it's it's hard to explain, but we are a spring training city, and we are a newer franchise. So those things combined means that we have a lot of people here in town that don't necessarily root for the team that is here in town. They've had a, a, allegiances to teams that their families have rooted for for years, or in some cases, you know, like we have a lot of Brewers fans here in town because the Brewers have spring training. So like, there's a lot of people that just live in Maryville in the area of the spring training facility that are Brewers fans, right? And when they come to town, they still, you know, represent Milwaukee and they come, you know, and they they root for them and everything. It's it's one of those things that makes Chase Field so different and. Like it's something we're used to at this point. It's it's not. I don't think it's ever going away just due to the nature of Phoenix as a city being a place that a lot of people retire here. It's a transplant city. There's a lot of people that just come here from somewhere else. But I mean, the franchise itself isn't that old. So it's like you know, it's hard to have people that are dedicated in a way where they feel like their family has been rooting, you know, for for this team for generations and generations. And you know, because of that, you just have a lot of, uh, especially the more popular teams, you have a lot of opposing fans here in the ballpark. The the team has talked at times about how, you know, uh, on a on a special night where like the ballpark was packed with D-backs fans for like a bobblehead or something like that that, you know, like this is the atmosphere that they want all the time. They wish they could have that. So, like there is definitely a perspective that this team is kind of always on the road for sure, but um yeah, I mean there's just some things about the confines of Chase Field and the way that they are familiar with like the dimensions and things like that, I think that really come into play, especially on defense because uh, Alec Thomas is just incredible defensively in center field out there. And uh, I, I think he's honestly one of the best to ever play the game in center field out there defensively at Chase Field. Yeah, I feel like whenever the Brewers play at Chase Field, that it's kind of a ballpark that's unique in that it's uh, the, the dimensions and like the, the overall outlay of the outfield is different uh you got the deep center field the angles going kind of up around uh left and right center uh isn't it's a pretty high wall isn't it too yeah in dead center weird it has like a porch that hangs over so like a ball can like come over and almost look like it's going to be a home run but then not and come underneath it it's a cool experience as a fan because when you Mm -hmm. sit in those seats it almost feels like you're on the field like Mm -hmm. the they they extends past like you know the concourse and it's it's a really unique you know, a uh, place to sit and watch a, b- a baseball game. But it's it's definitely one of those things that you see a lot of, especially opposing uh, center fielders kind of misjudge maybe where the ball is going to hit or if it's going to be in play, if it's going to be a home run. And, uh, you know, it's something that it definitely takes some, some getting used to to play there. Yeah, well, the third starting pitcher for the D-backs uh, this series will be Merrill Kelly. Uh, his last start against the Brewers, June 19th, he went seven innings, one run. Uh, Merrill, Merrill Kelly is honestly the pitcher that I'm a little bit more worried about than even Gallon or yeah. Fott specifically uh, or, or definitely with Fott. But he's he's a, a righty that commands the corners well, uh, relies a lot on movement, kind of like a Wade Miley, but with more velocity from the right side. 
uh, in that it's it's two seamers, it's cutters. Uh, he's got six pitch mix. Uh, do you think Merrill Kelly is capable of of stifling the Brewers' offense again, like he did out uh, earlier in June? I think so. I think so because Merrill Kelly has been just magic for this team at times. We we often say Zach Gallen kind of gets all the press while Merrill just kind of does it quietly. And at times Merrill's had better numbers. I think he might have even ended with a better ERA than Zach Gallen. So like he's just been doing it done consistently for this team, and he's been uh, he's had goals like you know trying to get to 200 innings pitched last season, and he's really tried. He's been uh, one of those guys that's give them a, a lot of length. He had some issues with cramping. He also had a blood clot at one point. So there were just some minor injuries uh, that kind of held him back, or even the cramping wasn't an injury. But uh, at times, it's very hot at Chase Field. So he would have those games where you thought maybe we were going to see him have a complete game. Maybe we're going to see him going to the ninth. And unfortunately, cramping kind of cut his his outing short, shorter, you know, faster than his pitch count actually did. But yeah, Merrill, Merrill is our stopper. And honestly... I don't know how if if all of these guys would have been available on regular rest and they could have started them in any order, I'm pretty sure they would have gone Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, and then maybe still gone with Brandon Fott in the finale. I don't know if that's the the case, but it, it does feel from like a Diamondback fan perspective, like you 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 feel a lot better about Merrill being there in Game Three than uh, Brandon Fott because Brandon Fott's start could essentially turn into a bullpen game. Uh, and that wouldn't surprise me. If Fott goes out there and probably gives up three runs early, I wouldn't be surprised to see him not last very long and see Torrey turn to his bullpen, which has been actually much better lately than they were uh, in the first half of the season. Uh, but Merrill is a guy that you can just trust uh, to go out there. Even when Merrill gets himself into jams or struggles, he finds ways out of it, and he just he, he does it again. He's not going to put up the most uh, the, the sexiest numbers. He's not going to put up the most eye-popping numbers, but he has just been by far the most consistent pitcher for this team over the last two seasons. Yeah, speaking of that bullpen that we'll probably see a lot of, especially in Game 1, the team had a 4.48 ERA for the year, uh, but you mentioned that the, the team has changed a lot throughout the course of the year, especially the bullpen. Bullpens tend yeah. to change as the year goes on. Kevin Ginkle... Uh, 2.48 ERA, nine and one actually. I don't know if nine and one matters a whole lot as a reliever, but sure. but uh, but he pitched very well throughout the year. Uh, but beyond that, the numbers none of them really jump off the page. But when you look at second half stats, Luis Frias 2.22 ERA in 24 innings. Bryce Jarvis sub three ERA. Paul Sewald 3.57 ERA with 13 saves. Ryan Thompson one earned run in 13 innings. Andrew Salfrank no earned runs in 10 and a third innings. Yeah. Uh, so there are a number of, of relievers who have been pitching well. Uh, would you even say that's a strength of the ball club? I, I think it's become a strength of the ball club. It wasn't early on. And, I mean, things have changed a lot over the course of this season. Tori Lovello came into 2023 with a perspective that he was going to go to a closer-by-committee kind of situation. Uh, they had brought in uh, Andrew Chafin, who was a Diamondback previously, and he was a big fan favorite. It was great to have him back. Uh, and that, you know, a number of guys that they, Scott McGuff from Japan, that they intended to use in high leverage situations, but weren't going to particularly name one guy a closer. They were going to just kind of go about it situation by situation. And it worked and it didn't. Uh, there were some times where Scott McGuff gave up, you know, uh, like a couple of home runs immediately to, to allow the other team to win. It was, you know, just inconsistency. I think a lot of the guys didn't know what their role was or when they were going to be called upon in the ninth inning. I'm sure a lot of them were ready and they were geared up for it, but 
there is something to be said about knowing what your role is, knowing when you're going to be called on, knowing what situation you're most likely going to be called upon. And I think that that once they made the trade for Paul Seawald, things started to fall into place. You started to see Kevin Ginkle come in and kind of be the setup guy, and Kevin Ginkle started being excellent in that role. They could even call on Kevin Ginkle and, you know, just any high leverage situation. And it felt like he could come in and consistently deliver for you. And this was a guy who even with a sub three ERA at one point got sent down to the minor leagues simply because he had options left. And this team had, you know, kind of some roster decisions that they had to make. Uh, And he still has been by far the most consistent reliever throughout the season for this team. Miguel Castro is another guy that's given him a lot of innings and he's been good at times. He's even been better lately since, uh, since since having a, a child and becoming Papa, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, right? But, like, we have right now uh, a lot of guys in there that weren't there in the beginning of the season. Brian Thompson was a guy that we got from Tampa Bay who honestly only had a few bad uh, outings that really kind of jacked his ERA up, but for the most part was not a bad reliever, was not a bad pitcher, spent some time in the minors, came over here, I think after being designated for assignment, the Diamondbacks picked him up, and... I think he gave them like close to close to 10 outings without giving up a run. He's only given up one earned run uh, in, in his time here since I think uh, August, since coming over in August. Uh, same thing with Andrew Salfrank. Uh He was a minor leaguer that they called up. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, it's almost amazing because this guy's numbers weren't that great in the minor leagues. He wasn't really talked about a bunch, but, you know, there was there was some, you know, there were some guys from Reno who we would speak to who would bring up his name. And for good reason, this guy ended up being, you know, he lights out so far for this team. And again, another guy that just does it quietly. You know, I think that's one thing was uh, this team made things very exciting. The bullpen made things very exciting at times. These guys lately have just been able to kind of come up here, get some ground balls, get some pop ups, get the job done, get out, basically. And again, it's not they're not lighting up. Uh, the the strikeout board or anything like that. But what they're doing is they're being effective and uh, it's really changed things for this team. I think though that again, Paul Seawald getting him in that trade with the Seattle Mariners, that was kind of the key having a closer that was, you know, consistent and that the Diamondbacks knew who was going to be in that role when it came to that time, I felt like really let everything else fall into place. Yeah. So you've kind of talked about why you think the D backs uh, might lose the series earlier on the, the D-backs have been struggling as of late uh, kind of limping into the postseason uh, with with an offense that's struggling a little bit so it seems like that might be how they lose the series give me your best case on how you could see the D-backs winning the series well I think the pitching matchup is good and I know the Brewers have really struggled with like their you know like their team OPS is like 23rd I think in Major League Baseball so I mean again the the one thing here is is that if the Diamondbacks uh, can kind of match up well in pitching and, and win, the, win some close games. I think that's kind of their road to success. I think a big part of it, again, is going to be just their ability to be patient. They've been really impatient at the plate. You've just seen them, you know, come into situations where they had no outs and the bases loaded and nobody comes home. And somehow the pitcher got out of it in like five pitches. And you just sit there as as a fan, as an observer, and say, this can't happen. This You can't do this. All you needed was one pop fly to generate one run. And there are times where this team absolutely falls into that kind of that rut of, of just being very impatient at the plate, uh, you know, just, just really trying to always be the guy instead of knowing that your team is the key to you, you know, your success and, and letting the, you know, letting the next guy pick you up, letting the next guy get you in, just finding a way to get on base. When they were really successful 
early on in the season in April and in May, their key to their success was getting base runners on, using their speed to get guys over, creating that chaos on the base path, and really just having it lead to you know the the defense kind of being frazzled. I know that the Brewers are very good defensive teams, so that's you know I, I don't know that's if that's going to be the case, but again, their speed is something that I don't think a lot of teams can compete with, and I don't know. Like it's Corbin seeing Corbin Carroll on film is one thing, but seeing him in real life is like literally watching a real life superhero run past you. So like, I mean, it's, it's a completely different thing to actually play uh, a guy with that speed. Plus the Diamondbacks have a few other guys could tell Jake McCarthy is another known chaos creator on the base path. So like they definitely have some guys that can uh, do it that way where it's kind of more about generating runs and, you know, making the defense make mistakes rather than, trying to go out there and, and hit a bunch of home runs and, and do it that way. So my final, my final question for you, uh, my prediction Brewers win the series in three. What is your prediction? Honestly, I would love to be, I would love to be on the diamondbacks bandwagon here. I really would, but uh, it's hard. I will say that losing Woodruff is probably the, the one thing here that allows me to think that the diamondbacks definitely have a chance, but there's a lot of things against them. And I think the biggest thing is that they really did limp into the playoffs here a bit. Uh, and, I mean, I'm not taking away that they didn't earn it because they absolutely earned their spot, just like every one of the 12 teams that are in the playoffs earned their spots. But, you know, it's not super encouraging that they came into this situation losing their last four games and being able to generate just such a few, this, such a little amount of offense in those games. So uh, I think I'm with you on that, and I, I think my, my gut instinct says Brewers in three as well. Well, good thing we're in agreement on that. Uh, Derek, before you go, where can where can fans find you on social media or find your work? Yeah, please. Uh, that's great. We are at gophnx.com. Uh, you can find me at cap underscore caveman with a K. Uh, and ours, our, uh, little web, our, our little Twitter account that we have fun with is at phnx underscore dbacks. So, again, we, we, we love opposing fans, I think, more than anything. And that's not even something we say on the show. That's something we talk about off air. But the fact that we have, like, so many fans from opposing teams that watch our show, and they come in and and they talk their trash and they say their things, but, like, it's all just – it's all love at the end of the day. It's all good game, you know, and it's uh, it's really just about this this wacky thing known as baseball. I still – can't believe that this team, you know, even made the playoffs. So I think that's the big thing. And that's something that might be a detriment to them as well. They might just be too much in a mode of being like, we're happy to be here because that's how we feel, right? Like we're, we're happy that they're there and we feel like this is just kind of playing with house money a bit when we weren't expecting to really make the playoffs this season or not projected to. And, uh, you know, this, this is one of those situations, hopefully that allows them to not play with too much pressure and maybe, maybe that can help them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's certainly the, the debate over experience versus uh, maybe sometimes being a first-time playoff participant uh, can yeah. work to your advantage. Uh, but Ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and, and with, with the amount of talent that the D-backs have, could work in their favor, but we'll see. Absolutely. Coming up again, 6.08 p.m. start time for sure, games one and two in Milwaukee. Get tickets if you haven't already. Thursday, uh, they play probably at 6.08 if, if the game is necessary there's a chance that it'll be moved to three based on certain circumstances. Thank you so much for joining us today, Derek. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Again, many thanks to Derek Montilla of PHNX Sports. Uh, Be sure to go follow him on socials and his work. Uh, I'll link that in the description below. Uh, Again, Brewers playing Tuesday night 
6.08 p.m. Again, Wednesday night at 6.08 p.m. also. They will be on ESPN2 for the whole series. Uh, so be sure you, you square that away with your cable. Uh, I know they're, I think the, the Spectrum ESPN feud is over, but uh, it's not going to be available on streaming. So make sure to check that out uh, on your cable. YouTube TV free trial, I was hearing, might be an option. Uh, can't confirm. Um, but that's what I'm hearing. That might be an option. Or find a local establishment to go watch the game. I'm sure they'll have it on. Uh, and then Thursday, if if the game is necessary, slated for 6.08 p.m. right now. But if the two American League games end, the Brewers-D-backs game will move up to 3.08 p.m. So make sure you're aware of that. Go buy tickets for all three games. Brewers need your support. And if they win, they'll be playing the Dodgers in an NLDS. That would start on Saturday in L.A., uh, Saturday and Monday in L.A., and then it'd be Wednesday, Thursday in Milwaukee. If necessary, Game 4 and Game 5 would be in L.A., and that would be on the following Saturday, I believe. So Brewers kicking off their postseason run. Uh, we'll come to you with as many episodes as we can. Uh, certainly hope to come to you uh, maybe live from uh, from American Family Field tomorrow will be or, or today as you're listening to it. We'll be at the game Tuesday night, Peter and I. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter if you're there and you want to meet up. Uh, we'll come say hi. So thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to stay uh, in the loop with us at the Barrel MKE. And oh, by the way, be sure to go check out uh, the latest YouTube video, how the Brewers built a World Series contender and an elite farm system at the same time. That's up on YouTube now. I spent a lot of time working on that. Uh, one of those more long-form videos uh, breakdown. So I hope you enjoy that. Go check that out at the Barrel MKE on YouTube, or I would bet if you search that title, it will come up on YouTube, the Barrel MKE.substack.com. Uh, if you're interested, have some articles up there. And we'll hope to get to you with uh, more bonus podcasts as the Brewers continue their postseason run. Go Brewers! <laughs>